You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Amen. Good. I want to, uh, first of all, um, just give a, a, a real thank you to um, Adam and the elders for um, really uh, entrusting me with the pulpit. I know what it's like, you know, from my perspective as a pastor to um, have somebody come in to take the pulpit and to preach the word. But um, I really am very honored by it and very thankful uh, that I could do it. And I want to also, as I think about this time, where I am now today um, versus where I was last February, um, uh, what a a change uh, from me being totally helpless to now being able to be uh, as healthy as I am, and I, I feel like I'm almost completely restored uh, to my health. And and uh, your many prayers for me has really um, been what God has been using to help me through and to get over this um, cancer with the complicated heart issues that came with it and everything else. So, um, but um, I'm seeing Sujith next week, and uh, and uh, he's going to let me know how things are going there. And I also have a CAT scan next week, and to see uh, how things are going. So, if you could just pray for me about that, um, that the Lord would um, give me a good, clean um, uh, bill of health there. So, uh, I just praise the Lord for that. So, um, I'd like to jump into the book of Job, but as we do, um, we think about uh, where we're at right now societally and culturally, and I never thought, you know, especially, you know, somebody my age and some of you people that are up into the 60s and so forth, um, probably never thought that we would be where we are today. Uh, would never even have conceived that we would be uh, seeing what's happening in our culture uh, the way it is. And and so the church has been constantly trying to change its message to get to that culture and to reach that culture. And the, the thing that we have to always remember is God's word is the same. God is the same. There is we can count on the sufficient, all-sufficient Word of God to meet our needs, even in a wacky cultural situation that we're in. And as I was, um, and some of you, I don't know how you handle Bible reading, uh, whether you do the whole Bible in a year or two years, or you just select different passages, whatever you do, but this year in my Bible reading, I I have uh, a year plan that I do. And so um, just about a month ago, it was in the book of Job. And so I was just like reading through Job, and I've read through Job 40-some-odd times or more in the course of my Bible reading. And I've always, you know, just, you know, not really... I've, I've understood it to some degree, and uh, certain passages really jump out that are really clear. But this time, it really got me. Uh, the, each passage uh, got me very, very uh, interested more and more this time around. And so when Adam asked me to preach, I immediately went to the book of Job. But I said, well, I can't preach the book of Job, obviously. But what the Lord um, impressed upon me is that someday I'd like to preach that whole book. Uh, and I think that would be what I'd like to do next if I had that opportunity. But what I did was I decided to do, is this been, is this been unopened? Oh, I guess, well, yeah. Take a chance. What I'd like to do is to draw our attention to the 23rd chapter. And so let's just take a look at that before I get going here. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My, My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to a seat. 
I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have, a tr I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of darkness, nor because, of thick, because the thick darkness covers my face. Let's look to the Lord together. <clears throat> oh God, as we come to you this morning, we come to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his sacrifice for our sins. I am very thankful, Lord God, that your word is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can do what any man cannot do. And so what I'm asking this morning, O oh God, is that the word would do its work in each one of us. And Lord, for those that are not uh, yet born again, who have never known you, I pray that there would be some something here that would get their attention and that you would help them and work in their hearts. Please work in me as I preach and through me as I preach and that only you would be seen. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I think when it comes to the book of Job, we're all familiar with the introduction to the book. The introduction to the book of Job is probably one of the most masterfully written pieces of literature in all the Bible. And it, it is poetry, it is one of the wisdom books, but it is a true account of a true person who actually experienced what he did. And when we see um, this person, we see immediately that God had blessed him above most or all the people of the earth. He had blessed him incredibly physically with uh, incredible riches. His riches were, um, were beyond measure upon all the face of the earth. And yet God also blessed him spiritually. He was a man who feared God, who loved God. And he was incredibly uh, well off in many different ways. The common thinking during that time was that if you were rich, um, you would be um, lifted up. You would be well thought of. You would be um, marked out as a, that God's favor was upon you. So the rich were looked upon that they must have done something right. <laughs> and the poor were often despised. And so when all of this happened to Job, of course, you can see how the thinking of his friends pull into this whole thing. And even at the, up until the time of Christ, this was the realm of thought, that if you had all the right stuff, all the good stuff, then, hey, you were blessed by God. You, everything was good. The Pharisees had that thinking. And Jesus had to pull the rug out from under them with that thinking, didn't he? he had to show them that that was a false concept. And so even today, people look at people based upon their wealth or based upon their poverty or whatever. They look at their, the outward things. They still do, maybe in different ways. Maybe the rich are not looked upon with great respect today. 
uh, because people are covetous. They want what they have. I don't know. But we see that that was the line of thinking. And so we have to remember that unbeknownst to, to Job, there was a war going on in heaven. There was this uh, presentation of the hosts that came to God, Satan being the leader of the host, and was accusing God and accusing Job that Job really didn't love God. <laughs> he didn't love God at all. He, in fact, he said, the only reason Job loves you and worships you is for what you give to him. Now that was, you know, from Satan's perspective, the seed that was in Job, we go back to Matthew 13, the three, the four soils and the different seeds, from Satan's perspective, he knew that he couldn't snatch the seed up off the hard ground, that it had settled into Job. But um, he thought maybe that if he applied the right kind of pressure to Job, that as the sun came up, it would wither that seed and that it would just fade away. And so Job, being, being the recipient of all this, um, Satan being the accuser, um, God answered him and said, no, he's righteous. He's righteous. Have you considered him? He's righteous. And he is uh, not doing this because of what I've given him, but because of a seed. And this is what I want to focus on today. And you have to ask yourself this question, this seed of faith that I want you to think through in your own mind, do I have this seed of faith which God planted in Job? Because unbeknown to Job, God had planted a seed in him. And he, he, never, he never really quite understood what was in Job. Job's friends didn't understand what was going on. Job didn't know what was going on. Everything was going on unbeknownst to Job himself. Job was totally in the dark this whole time. We don't know how long this went on where we see this when we come to this 23rd chapter. How, how, how far into this are we? Well, you look at different commentators and you'll say, well, some of them said it was a few days, some of them said a few weeks, some of them said a few months. I'm kind of leaning towards the months myself. But in any event, it was a long time. So Satan didn't know that instilled within Job was a seed that had fallen on pure ground. It was strategically sown, and it is strategically sown in all of Adam's race. That is the seed of the woman. You have the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. All the seed of the woman, this seed is sown. If you're here today, and you have repented of your sin, and turned from your own unbelief and, and embraced Christ, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God sows this seed in you. It's an incorruptible seed. It's a, it's a seed that is perfect, that is pure, that is sinless. And that seed is in you, and it was in Job. This is what's going to make this such a marvelous thing that we see here. In 1 John chapter 3, John speaks about this seed. This seed that is in all of God's children. It is the seed of righteousness. And it's the seed that does not sin. John says this in chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
The reason the Son of God appeared, and get this, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's amazing. There's a seed that's been planted in my heart. Is there a seed that's planted in your heart? It's not to the credit of the person that righteousness proceeds, but the seed of faith. This seed cannot sin. It cannot sin. It cannot rebel. It cannot doubt. So, here we are. Here we are. And all of you are no doubt thinking, I sin. All of you are thinking, there's times where I doubt. There's times where I falter. And I go backwards. And it's obvious to the reader that Job comes to a point where he's doubting. He comes to a point where he's starting to crack. He comes to a point where he does sin. And pride is working in Job just as much as pride works in you and me. You see, God is doing something in Job, and he's doing it purposefully to show us that there is a theology of the afflicted and how this battle brings one into conformity to the mind of Christ. You and I cannot have conformity to the mind of Christ without suffering and without affliction. We can't. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. This is not to say that one who does battle with, unbel- with, with sin does not struggle along the way. Paul was thoughtful enough to give us that seventh chapter of Romans, which has always been a comfort to me because I have this battle. This battle with the seed. Something going on here? Whoops, that's my phone. Oh, here. Turn the phone off. Okay. Okay, good. Technology. Um... But this battle with the seed, Paul taught us in Romans, this is a battle. This is a battle that we, we go through. And the 23rd chapter of Job is like so many of these chapters. It happens to be one of my favorite chapters. But you see, Job felt as though he needed to prove his righteousness. He needed to prove his righteousness. And initially, he seems like things are going pretty bad here. Interestingly, at the very beginning of the book, Job does a really good job. In fact, it is an amazing thing. It's a wondrous thing to see what God does or allows Satan to do. Everything is taken away. All is cattle, all his buildings, all his children, all stripped away. What does Job do? Naked came I out of the womb, naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the the Lord. When you read that, 
you go, whoa. Why did Job say that? How could he say that? The seed. You see, that seed. He couldn't curse God, as his wife told him to do. He, God left her alive. <laughs> curse God and die. He couldn't. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then as the trials get intense, as we work through the book in the 13th chapter, he even says, though he slay me, I will trust him. Job's faith is something that we just stand back and we go, whoa, whoa. But but the degree of faith that Job has is composed of the same seed that you have. It's there. You and I have that same seed. And God gives proportionately to us what we need, and then we respond as God enables us through his grace. And so the first thing we need to see then is this seed of faith in this battle that takes place in the mind. Notice what he says here. Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter, my hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Sin begins always in the mind. You and I are conflicted. You might be sitting in church and you'll see somebody and you'll start thinking something like, Oh boy, I don't know about that person. Oh, why is that person looking like that? Or whatever, you know, you, 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 it's always up here. You'll always be comparing yourself with other people, or you'll be thinking about this or that, and um, whether you're accepted or not, whether you're liked or not, or whether, you know, there's all these things going on. They're always happening in the mind. And then it begins to work itself out in your actions, how you treat others, so forth. It, it begins in the mind. Unbelief works its darkness and evil, and it has done real damage. Today, Job says, today is my complaint bitter. If you have an ESV Bible, there might be a little notation there that says defiant. That's The authors are trying to bring out what the Hebrew literally means there. The NASB, if you're using that, uses the word rebellious. But this whole thing is weighing in on Job at this point pretty heavily. And my understanding when I read that is, can I blame him? No. Just take a look at the 22nd chapter for a minute. Let me bring you out to a a few verses. Um with uh, Eliphaz here. This guy is a real winner. Um, He says to Job, verse 9, you have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness, so that you cannot see, and a flood of waters covers you. Is not God, God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? And on and on he goes until we get to verse 21 where he says, Job, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby God will come to you, receive instruction from his mouth, and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Delight yourself in the Lord. And so Eliphaz is making all these accusations against Job, most of which aren't even true. And Job says, my complaint is bitter. Earlier he said, miserable friends are you. Miserable comforters are you. So, to Job, this was unfathomable. Here he was, a worshiper of Yahweh, one who loved God. 
And so all these things are happening him to him, and this battle is coming out in his mind. And this was especially difficult because in some senses, some of it was true. He had failed to understand what was happening. He was trying to uh, appeal to God in these matters because he never knew what was going on, neither did his friends. He'd failed to understand that these things were happening uh, so that he could be closer to God, so that he could be conformed into the image of God. His friends, they had the logic of the world. Job, something's happening to you. It must be because you did something wrong. And so is the way of man, isn't it? Something's happening to you, so you must have done something wrong. Early in my ministry, I was in a church where the pastor thought that if you were sick, you were sinning. This is not uncommon for people to think this way, believe it or not. It's common. People think things based upon outward appearance, outward circumstances, and so forth. So the groaning is not one of an unbeliever, but it's the groaning of a righteous man who is not coming to understand what God is doing to him. Yet there it, there it is. No reason is given. No understanding is granted. What God was working in Job was not just what Job saw initially, but that he wanted Job to concede continually. That is what Job said at the very beginning. Naked came I out of the womb, naked shall I return. Blessed is the name of the Lord. God wanted him to be submissive to him, no matter what. So, Job's response, again, was admirable. God had given him health. God had given him prosperity. But with God's permission, all of this was stripped away. So, what happened? Things begin to shift. Job begins to crack. So he makes this appeal. So we see, secondly, then, the seed of faith seeks the source of its strength. And the first thing is this petition that Job puts forth. Notice in verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. This shows me that the seed of faith is determined, but Job is really doing this. He's not speaking to God directly here, necessarily. He's speaking to his friends who have just accused him. He's speaking to them. Today my complaint is bitter. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And so what he doesn't know is that Job, that God, is right there. He's right under your nose, Job. He's right there. Job couldn't see it because the problems had become bigger than God. And that happens sometimes. Our problems, we sometimes focus on our problems, and we focus on our problems, and we focus on our problems, and then sometimes they get so big that God becomes small, that he's out there remotely. But God was right there. Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always. And at this height of this agony, he is writing, oh, that I knew where I might find him. This is very reminiscent to chapter 19, by the way, in verse 23. He says, oh, that my words were written, inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. And the translators rightly added an exclamation mark there. 
But little did Job know, all of this was being observed. All of it was being written down and recorded and inscripturated for a lifetime. What Job is going through was for his benefit, for his friend's benefit, and for yours and my benefit. In fact, God used what happened with Job in the future of all saints. David said this in Psalm 39. He writes, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Verses 9 through 11 of Psalm 39. So where do we go when we're in such a state of agony? Amidst all the conflict, Job is knowing deep down that he had a right standing with God. And what his friends said, Job is now looking to God for some affirmation. Yet God has chosen to remain obscure. He has chosen to seem like he's afar off. And so we see Job's thinking is revealed here. Secondly, in verses 3 through 4, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might even come to a seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Very interesting here. He wants God to see. God, I want you to see what I'm going through. And oftentimes, this is not unlike what you and I experience, because you and I might experience some injustice that might occur. And we might complain to God. You might not be conscious of your complaining to God, but in a sense, you are complaining to God. God, I need some justice here. I need you to see it from my perspective. And so he is bringing like a suit, if you will, to God. It's like a courtroom scene. But there's one mistake that Job is doing here. He's trying to represent himself, and what he really needs is an attorney. (laughs) A good lawyer will say, look, don't ever represent yourself. Or a judge will say, don't ever represent yourself. Have an attorney present. Little did Job know he had an attorney. He knew he had an attorney. Lord Jesus Christ. He said, verse 5, his realization, he, he presumes upon God to agree, where he says, I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. He would pay attention to me. Notice he says, There's an upright man, there an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Now, Job knows that God would acquit him. He knew that. He he had enough knowledge and confidence of his conscience that he knew that what they were saying was not true. But he didn't get that affirmation from God. He didn't sense God's presence. And so now he's placing himself in this courtroom scene. And he realizes that God is not answering him. So notice here this realization in verses 8 and 9. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I am backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. Oh, how many times have I even personally experienced, Lord, it doesn't seem like you're with me right now. I don't feel that presence. I don't sense that you're here. I don't sense that you hear my prayers. And Job does not sense it. He does not feel it. And so he is going through this. But faith is working. The seed of faith is working. Because this would never happen to an unbeliever. This would never happen to an unbeliever. He is persisting and pursuing and taking up his case. He is wrestling with God. 
like Jacob wrestled with God. Unbelievers would never go through this. They would never even think to go through this. The Bible is clear. If you seek God, you will find him. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you ask, it will be granted unto you. If you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. If you ask for bread, will he give you a stone? No. If you ask for an egg, will he give you a scorpion? No. God was moving Job to wait upon him and trust him with that seed of faith. So, thirdly then, we move into verses 10 through 17. And we see what's happening here. After all this, after all the review of the, of the accusers who were accusing him, after all the areas where he felt that God was not here, that God was not listening, that he was presenting him, him, his case before him, all of this comes to an end, so to speak, because here then is the seed of faith that manifests itself that you and I also experience from time to time. Job says, yes, all this is true, but... That's a pretty glaring conjunction there. But he knows the way that I take. Isn't that great? God knows. God sees. God understands. He knows the way that I'm taking. He knows specifically every detail of my mind, what I'm thinking, what I'm enduring. And it is God's way that he's taking. It's the way that God had chosen in his sovereignty for Job to go through. He knows the way that I take. What we see here is a mark of concession from Job. Where did that come from? It came from the seed. It came from that seed of faith. It's, it was something deep down within Job, and this was because of Job's imputed righteousness. God had imputed his righteousness to Job and he had given him this seed of faith. And this seed of faith was what enabled Job to say, but he knows the way that I take. I'm going through agony. I'm going through torture. I'm going through the worst of the worst. But he knows the way that I take. In many cases, Job when he's going through this suffering, is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. When all around him, they were like bulls of Bashan, gaping their horns and they're, they're gnashing their teeth. The Lord Jesus was all alone on the cross. No one there for him. And in a sense, in a very infinitesimally, proportionately small way, Job is experiencing that. He's experiencing that. But he knows the way of, that I take. He knew that God was for him. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Right? God had declared Job was righteous long before. Job was merely living out what God had worked in. And this statement was part of what God worked into him. And it's a great statement. It's a marvelous statement. 
And it explodes with the greatness of God's glory combined with his trial. The Lord Jesus submitted entirely unto the righteousness of God and to the plan of God, to the will of God. Job here shows a mark of submission. So the seed of faith concedes. The seed of faith submits. The seed of faith obeys. In fact, if we look at biblical faith, faith and obedience are synonymous. You can't have faith without obedience, and you can't have obedience without faith. If you have obedience without faith, it's legalism. If you have faith without obedience, it's antinomianism. <laughs> it's one or the other. But they have to be together. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Job here is saying he knows. He knows. Sometimes you and I will tritely say, praise the Lord, as somewhat of a conditioned response sometimes. But true praise cries out from the depths of one's being when it has been stimulated by the seed of faith. The Pharisees tried to quiet the crowds who were praising Hosanna to Jesus on the way in. They were just crying out. Jesus said, if you shut them up, the stones are going to cry out. You can't do it. I've heard people say, well, I don't know what I'd do without my faith. Or uh, my faith is what sustains me. But James tells us faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. Jerry Bridges wisely wrote once these, these words. He said, Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. I'll read that again. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. And it's true, isn't it? When you're born again, you don't just raise your hand in a meeting and say, yeah, I, I accept Jesus as my Savior. It's not a decision type of thing. It is something that moves. So when someone uh, tells you that the building is on fire, it's not. <laughs> but if somebody tells you that and you just sit in your seat, did you believe that person? No. What causes you to transition from unbelief to belief. You get up off your seat and you head out the door. Faith is what gets us off our seat and heads us to the door, the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved unless you repent of sin and believe that Jesus was God's offer, that God offered him on your behalf. And you must embrace Christ. That is by faith. That's the faith that saves, that changes. But what is Job saying? He's saying God knows, God sees. And therefore, Job could exhibit trust. So then he says in verse, the second part of the verse, he says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I shall come forth as gold. In other words, what God is doing to me 
is to conform me to his image and to purify me. And Job understood that because of that seed of faith. He realized that testing and chastening bring purity. Thirdly here, we see that trusting facts, not feelings, contributes to stability. Notice here what he says in verse 11. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He has then a proper view of himself. He's not downing himself with any false humility. He's not allowing anything to uh, obscure from the fact that he has a pure conscience. Paul could rest in the fact that he had a pure conscience free from the offense of all men. He knew that he could stand in front of God. God was behind all this. Job was beginning to see it. Secondly, he has kept his way and not turned aside. Job had not altered his course. He knew that, although he couldn't reconcile why God was doing it. In fact, no one ever knew why God was doing what he did. You may never know what God is doing in your life. I think it was John Piper that once said, there are 10,000 things going on in your life, and you may know three of them. <laughs> you don't know. You and I don't know. But he's not turning aside. He knows that much. He's not going back. And finally here, we see that he keeps God's word as the ultimate treasure. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my Necessary food, more than a portion of my food. He held on to what God said. God's promises are true, folks. They are true. They will always be true. You can count on it. He keeps God's word as the ultimate value. I was uh, watching a video of some Chinese teenagers in China who had received some boxes from missionaries. And in the boxes were Bibles that had come to them in China. They didn't have Bibles. They couldn't get hold of a Bible. But the picture is so vivid in my mind were these young Chinese teenagers opened these boxes, pulled out these Bibles that were wrapped in cellophane, ripped out the cellophane, and started weeping and clutching the Bibles to their chest, crying and dancing around the room, clutching the Bibles. Folks, you and I need to value God's word more than anything else. We need to bury ourselves in the word. And I think if you're honest, you could tell me, I don't think anybody, myself included, could say, I spent enough time in God's word. It's this, isn't it? I wonder what's happening here. I wonder what's going on here. And you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And you can get so you know, sidetracked, even with good stuff. I'm not talking bad stuff, although hopefully none of you are into the bad stuff, but there's just good stuff alone that can really keep you from being in God's word, and I know it can rob you. But Job says, I esteem God's word more than my necessary food. That's how much he believed that. Then we see here, God's immutability is our hope. Job realized that God couldn't change, wouldn't change. Verse 13, notice, he is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. God doesn't change. He's not fickle. He makes this declaration. It is accomplished. 
we need to realize something here that God's word is something that you and I can count on. We can take it to the bank. And let us remember this essential truth. It's not about you or what you have done, but it's all about what he has done. He has declared those who put their faith in him to be righteous, to be justified, to be sanctified, to be purified, to be conformed into his image. All may change, but Jesus never. And then we find here in verse 14, God's sovereignty is our stability. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. God will complete it. As Paul said in Philippians 1.6, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He has begun a good work in me. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Job knew that too. Because he had the seed of faith. Finally then, what the seed of faith acknowledges First of all, God is holy. You and I are not. He knows. He always does what's right. He never makes a mistake. Where you are today is where God would have you today. Whatever situation you are in, it's because God put you in that situation. And he doesn't make a mistake. He's sovereign. Many times where we find our doubts come is we forget about the sovereignty of God. Our, the sovereignty of God. God was doing a work in Job's heart that he did not see at first, but faith was able to see it. Essentially, Job had pride. How could God do this to me after all I have been to him? I have been so faithful. I have been so much obedient in all my area of life. Then God does this. How could God do this? Well, Job gets this right in chapter 42. I'll just read that really quick because it's really important. He says this. He said, I know that, I can, that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak, he says. I will question you and make it known to me. That's what Job was saying that he said. And then he said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, what? I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. So even when the darkness comes, as Eliphaz had said to him, he knew that even in the darkness, I would be fine. I would be okay. Piper concludes, makes a good statement about this uh, that I wanted to read. Here, he says, remember the words of the Lord. Better to suffer the excruciating pain of a gouged out eye than to let any sin remain in your heart. If this does not seem obvious to you, namely, the sanctification is worth any pain on this earth, it is probably because you don't abhor sin and prize holiness the way God does and the way you should. Let us examine ourselves carefully at this point. Believe with all your heart in the absolute sovereignty of God. Pray that God will give you that conviction. A few lessons, then, that we can learn. Even when we have lived a careful, God-fearing life, we have more pride within than we think we have. God is in the business of digging it out. When Job was trying to find answers, he was really preoccupied with self. He had lost his reputation, his honor, and his friends. So he feels that God was not just. Other times, we can subtly think that God is not just in our own lives because we 
feel that the circumstances that we are going through are unfair and we don't like it. We may not be conscious of it, but in effect, we don't like what he was, is doing and it shows by an inward attitude of the soul. It may not be what others see, but we know it deep down inside. And it is not pleasant. We have to come to the point in our life where we'll say, God, please do with me whatever you please, whenever you please, however you please. Sometimes God will bring people into our lives that make us real uncomfortable. Or maybe not equitable. To help us to realize that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And if you are not humble, be assured God will humble you. Another thing is we often presume that God is in line with what we want when we really need to ask, what do you want? And isn't that the essential aspect of Jesus' prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but thine be done. But also, when you think about your faith and you think about how shallow it is or how little it is, remember this. The weakest Christian is as much justified, as much pardoned, as much adopted, as much united to Christ as the strongest Christian. That came from Thomas Brooks. So the seed of faith is supernatural. It has been planted by God so that when it is exercised, God gets all the glory from it. It always points to Christ and is like his faith in form and principle. That is, the seed that is from God is like the faith of Jesus Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? Because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you exercise that faith, it is the same DNA as Jesus' faith. Because Jesus, Paul said, for by grace are you saved and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the faith is the gift of God. And without faith, you can't please God, Paul says in, or, sorry, Hebrews 11.1, 1, for all you particularists there of the authorship, um, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because it is something that is other than his faith. It has to be his faith. And how do you get his faith? Very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent, put your whole trust in him, and God will give you that seed and plant it in that rich soil. And out of it will produce Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, all those things, because it'll be in the right soil. That seed. So let's think about that as we close out today. Oh God, our help in ages past, our help in years to come, we are confessedly a very weak people with a very weak faith. But Lord, we come to the God who showed us through the word as the weak ones came, the disciples, when they saw how weak their faith was, they said, Lord, increase our faith. And so that is a prayer that we pray right now. Lord, will you increase our faith that we might apply the correct principles and remember that each circumstance that you've placed in our life has been sovereignly put there by you. And you are working, you are moving in our midst. 
and working to conform us into the image of Christ. Thank you for planting the seed. Thank you that it responds to you. Thankful that we can sing and worship and glorify you because of the seed of faith that Job had and that all true believers have. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.